I tell you what, uh, we're not actually going to speak on uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to go back to our chapter in Galatians. But first of all, I just want to highlight one or two things from that well-known story. Many people have said that the story of the prodigal son is perhaps one of the greatest stories ever told. It relates to uh, all cultures, universal truths throughout history. I mean, there are relationships which are the deepest kind being dealt with, and it is utterly profound. And we know also that it's also profound on his teaching uh, concerning our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. It was Campbell Morgan who preached 128 times in Westminster on the prodigal son. And there was actually something new in it every time. But for us tonight, I just want to highlight just this one point for our text, which is in Galatians. And first of all, it's there in verse then 19. It's when the prodigal starts to go home to his father and he thinks of what he's going to do and what he's going to say. So he's got a speech prepared. And this is a really insightful uh, understanding of the human heart coming back to God. It's one of the great problems we have dealing with the free grace of God in our lives. And in verse 19, he decides to say, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here's the prodigal and he decides I need to get back to my father. But this time, look, I'm not going to be a son. I don't deserve that because of all I've done and everything else. I am just give me, let me be one of your servants. And then also, what's also highlighted in verse then 29 is of the elder son who had remained at home. Uh, he had uh, not gone away. And there it is. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And now you've got the elder son and he's got the same relationship with his father. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? If you had a family and uh, you were the parent and the only way that your children could relate to you is through some kind of service. But that seems to have been the thinking of these two brothers. And actually, this story reveals to us something of our human nature, but also something of the great gospel um, truth in which Jesus has come and in his coming, that we are not only no longer servants, but we are then sons. And that goes, if you have your Bibles, turn then to our text, which is Galatians chapter 4. We're going to carry on from last week, from verses 1 to verses 7. And actually, that's why I think that uh, Galatians 4, 1 to 7 is written, is that Paul is dealing with this propensity that we have, even when we become Christians, to continue to live as slaves. If you remember last week, we finished in verse 29. It couldn't be more clear. It couldn't even be greater. What we have is simply this. It is wonderful. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And he is according to the promise. That's it. As Paul is arguing to these uh, Christians in Galatia, he's making his uh, argument that, look, they are no longer under law. They're no longer slaves. 
but they are truly sons. There is no more to say. However, he also knows that it is possible, you know, even as Christians and as believers, to live as slaves and not enjoy then our relationship with God as sonship. And really, that's a, a, a weed which is in the fallen human condition. And it's got to be one of the saddest kind of plants that, are, that is in our soul. That in our relationship with God, we just can never come to the place where we realize that he's dealt with us freely. And that we can know the kiss of his forgiveness. We can know of the robe being put on us. We can know of the ring on our finger. And to know that we are truly then sons. And there's a reason for this. As I mentioned last week, it's because of our thinking that we always want to try and do something to earn God's favour. There's false teachings which are in the church. But as we mentioned, and we'll reinforce this point this week, that one of the reasons we don't get it is that we don't realise how absolutely tremendous has been the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How cataclysmic has been the change, uh, what that does for us in our experience and living with God. And I think that's what Paul is dealing. His argument has been won. But he does come now here in verse 1 to verses 3, for example, and actually highlight the reality that, look, there were those, even in the Old Testament, as we mentioned, all people are made right with God by faith alone. Abraham and so are we. There is no difference. But there was a time, you see, before Jesus Christ came, as we saw in verse 23 of chapter 3, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed, which has been revealed. And could I say to you that that wasn't just the case for Old Testament believers, but even when people become just like the prodigal, we got this idea and we can actually end up living and acting as slaves. And so you find it is that Paul then gives them a little illustration, uh, an incident from uh, social living around them. And he says in verse one, now I say to you that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. And in those days, you can uh, imagine the scenario. There was one who owned the estate. He was lord of the mansion. And he had then those who worked with him, who actually belonged to him. They were then slaves owned by him. And they would have families and they would have children. And the owner's child would also play with the child of the, of the slave. And they were both under the rules of the estate. Both consequences took place. And uh, even though the child was to inherit one day everything, yet while he was a child, he was definitely under, you see, no different from the other child who was then the child of the slave. And look at verse 2, because there was something in those days too, where there would be a guardian and steward, which would be appointed by the father to instruct, to guide, to supervise the young child in growing up, to exercise discipline, uh, to be a guard over them. And just like we read, you see, in verse then 25, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. But there was a moment and a time where you can actually be uh, an inheritor and you could be a child, 
but you're definitely living in bondage still. And actually, what happens in verse 3, this is what Paul says about himself. Now, I know it's a hard verse, but I really want you to grasp it, because I assure you there's nothing more sad in your Christian life, and I don't know if it's possible to make the blessed God who's always happy sad, but I'm sure this may be one high on the agenda that we as his children do not act and live in this idea that we need to bring this subservient kind of uh, uh, law keeping, which we would just simply, as you know, you become a Christian, you make great promise, all in the altar I lay. Well, that's good. But look what Paul says. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, look, I'll give you just an example uh, from history. I think it was Edward, you know, the eighth. No, it was Edward VI, who was the son of Henry VIII. And you know that he became king when he was you know, really young, about eight years of age. And I don't know when he died. He wasn't old when he died. But what he had around him, even though he was heir and even though he was king, he had those guardians, he had the supervisors, he had the advice, he had all that. But, you know, there was a hoping that he would come of age and he would then act. But he was always a child. Now, Paul says, you see, whatever's going on here, he's talking to these now who have become then uh, Christians and are going back to the law. He said, listen, look, we were just children. We were in bondage. We were under the elements of the world. And actually, that's true for each and every one. We were under bondage. Paul was under bondage. Galatians were under bondage. Jews were under bondage. Gentiles were under bondage. Listen, there is no one. I don't care how many times you've seen the film Born Free. Even if you're an ape, you're under bondage. Because this element speaks, you see, in this way. That he's dealing now with the material matter. Now, I'm just going to give you three explanations. But whatever it is, it could have been that these were pagans. But I know I'm taking this from John Stott. He says, look, this word elements means of the material fabric of this world in which we live. And he's talking now about water and air and earth and wind. And look, there may be something in that. Do you know, I was only watching a program about religious kind of life in Wales. And shall I tell you, although people are not coming to chapel and church, they're no longer becoming uh, Christians, but neither are they becoming atheists. What they're becoming is pagan. Well, even if you become a pagan and you worship the elements of this world, you've got news for you. You're under its restraints and its bondage and its decay and its death, and there is no difference. And so he says, that's just one idea. I'll give you another idea. I know there's a version which says elementary spirits, and you can find it there in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 8. And he's warning the church there because we've always got a tendency because to go back and we think that we're maturing, we're taking on these kind of rituals, we're going back to the kind of Jewish ideas, we've got these other ways of living, adding to the Christian faith, becoming more spiritual, and whatever he's saying, listen, you're acting like a child. And in verse 8, he says this, be we at least anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according, look, to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ and then there are those who are coming into the church of Colossae and they would always say look look here's a good tradition here's a wonderful rule here's something else you need to learn and I tell you it's not to do with Christ you don't realize you think that you're growing up 
but actually you're acting like utter children. And not only that, I'll just give you one more verse. And this is from Hebrews, where Paul, yeah, the writer, is actually writing now to these. And he is saying in chapter 5, and let me have a look if I can find it. And um, verse 12, and although they were Jews, this elementary, this basic rudiments, is like the ABC that you haven't grown up with. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so perhaps it could be, look, these things which they were under, even in the Old Testament, are like shadows, part of the elements, subject to decay. And so it was that they were not free. Now, you need to understand that it is possible. It happened in the Old Testament, even for those who are believers, because Jesus said, righteous men and prophets and kings looked for a better day, which was then to come. And what you find here is that you need to know it is then it happens. And you need to know that, look, it's what you once were. John Newton, uh, you know, that uh, wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, the slave trader, he had inscribed, if I can find it, he had a verse inscribed on his desk. And these were the words that he always wanted to remember for his Christian life. Remember that thou wert a bond slave in the land of Egypt. And yet when you come, uh, look, in people's lives, it's a problem in the life of the church. I mean, you only have to watch the God channel. I mean, everything's going back to every kind of it runs on the Jewish calendar. It's mental. And what you've got is that people think that they're going on in their Christian life. You don't realize that you're a slave. And people don't. I'll just give you another verse you can turn to Bible study see tonight. And so it's John chapter 8 and verse 33. This is what you read when Jesus said, you know, he tells them the truth uh, will make you free. And, you know, you shall be free. And then they say, verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. And you can say you can make us free. Never been in bondage. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. They were in bondage to the Babylonians. They were in bondage to the Romans. They were in bondage, you see, to all their kind of rules and regulations. Do you know what they got? I tell you what, you don't realize what's, what's happened to you. You know, just like old Harry said, he didn't realize he was in prison, but Megan's freedom. Wonderful stuff for good old Harry. But what happens when you become a Christian, you need to realize and wake up too that you're no longer, you see, although you were a slave, an heir, just like it was, you know, sadly people do. That's how you were though. And uh, that's, that's, that's how you were. And you may think that it's mature to try those things. And the Christian church is full of it. Let's be honest. If you were to go out to Africa and we put our Christianity over there, we don't have to give them a bunch of rules and regulations and traditions and rights just to go through it. And you think, what's that going to do? I tell you what that is. You're going to end up living as a, as a slave and not an heir. Now, look, in the Bible, there's one of those great buts again. And in verse 4, there's something we need to realize. Something's happened. Something's changed. You see, just like it is in verse 23 of chapter 3. But before faith came, and we said that was the faith which was revealed in Jesus Christ. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God came and he's giving us a revelation about the workings of God in this world. Now, what we're being told here that there is in this world, believe it or not, a divine clock which this world is running to. And God has certain things that he is to do at certain times and we live in certain ages. And now what this verse tells us, very interesting, but when the fullness of time had come, that there was, as we sing, you know, at Christmas time, uh, late in time, behold, he came, offspring of a virgin's womb. There was a time when we were in innocence. There was a time when we were in sin. There was a time when we lived without the law. There was a time when we lived with the law. Do you know, there's a time of the prophets and then they never spoke for 400 years. And then Christ came. And in this world, you see, there's been this uh, agenda of God's purposes and plans. And I know that people have worked this kind of out where when he came, when the Roman Empire and civilization and the Greek thinkers. But I tell you, at the end of it, when all that had come. Then Jesus Christ came into this world. God sent him. And there was this moment. And look, there's a number of things which he was done. He was, he was sent forth his son, his only begotten son. I'm going to give it to you because uh, there's not a, an address I, I don't give without making this known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now look, he was made of a woman. And here it is, he was made under the law. The one who gave the law. God's only begotten son who spoke that law came in the volume of the book that it was written of him. But look, if you read the account in Luke's gospel especially, it says on the eighth day he was circumcised. And he who is circumcised has to keep the whole law. And the wonderful thing for you and me is this, is that Jesus Christ, you know, he subjected himself. Wonderful news for you and me. Every time we disobeyed our parents and we said no, we stamped our feet, we threw the cornflakes over the floor. The Lord Jesus, you know, he was perfect when he lived that life. And he went through those teenage years. Who wants to go through them again? But the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he did it. And he was perfect when he did it. And the way that he spoke and all that he said and the deeds that he did, he fulfilled that law of God and he put himself under the law. But look now in verse then, in verse five, because you need to know of two reasons why he did it. Here are the two reasons. In the fullness of time, Christ has come. Two reasons. To redeem those who are under the law. And also to receive the adoption as sons. Now look, I got the wonderful news. See, there's been a time which has come in this world where God has bought that real liberation and freedom that you long for in your life. Do you remember last week we said there are two things that people want in their life. They want freedom and they want belonging. And in Jesus Christ that has happened. No, really, it came with Jesus Christ. Because when he fulfilled that law... Do you know, he did something else. 
he also did something for you and me who had broken the Lord of God, who had a penalty to pay, whose curse was upon us. He went to the tree of Calvary. You know the truth. You know the gospel. He died in our place and he paid a price with his blood that you and me could be free. And the freedom that you've got today, look, there's been a moment in history and that moment in history where you know of real freedom. It hasn't come with science. It never came with, you know, the fact that now we got uh, vacuum cleaners. You don't even have to move around the house. It didn't come with computerized cookers. But now, you know, I don't have to, I got more free time. No, people have got all those kind of things. They're not more free. They're still as bound as ever in their heart, in their conscience, in all those things. They're not free because science has liberated them. Science has given us more worries and more pains and more burdens. But Jesus Christ, when the truth shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And so, Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, you've got to understand something's happened. I mean, this is big, isn't it? I mean, the, the problem we've got is that we don't kind of understand the enormity of what we're on about as the gospel. I mean, we're talking God, God came into this world. I mean, you think that would change something? It did change something. It changed it drastically. That you who are under the law may be redeemed. But there's also something else because there's something more that you may receive too, the adoption as sons. Now, there is no greater blessing in one's life than knowing the forgiveness of sins and being justified with God. I mean, that is the absolute, you know, that's where it all begins. But it ain't all. Because when you come and by faith in Jesus Christ, you are made, as we said, the children of God. And you can know what it is that you belong to him and that you've got that blessing that you are part of the family of God, your ears of uh, those people of God. And you know that in your life. It's that wonderful reality that you're, you're adopted and there's been that which has taken place. Now, look, God has done something and you need to look how he's done it. And what that means in verse seven, because something profound, God has not only sent his son into the world, but in verse 26, and because you're the sons of God, has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, God's done two things. He sent his son. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he sent it into this world and into your hearts, sent his son to Calvary, sent his spirit into your hearts, the spirit of his son. And uh, that's, that is enormous. It's a change that has taken place. You have now what is then the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship um, in your very experience that you're not under the law but you belong to him i i can't tell you how much of a change this is now look in the old testament and the new testament as i said to you look anybody who becomes a christian there is only one way people have been saved throughout the history of this world and that is by faith in the promise of the seed 
that was to come from the woman and was to come and liberate us from the power of sin and from the power of devil. But there is a difference between those of the Old Testament and those of the New in this, that you have come to know that blessing outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that day of Pentecost, by which now you have that which was never given to them in the Old Testament. Not one saint in the Old Testament made their prayers and said, Abba, Father, you'll never find it. You can't read of it. It's not in their literature. It's not in their prayers and their history. But when Jesus Christ came and revealed to us that God has an only begotten son, and he revealed to us there's a father in heaven. And he sent then his spirit of his son into our hearts. you got something. You see, see those people? They were at that time. They were heirs. But they were still living in one sense like slaves. But now something's happened in the fullness of time. And you just got to grasp it. Because you now have something. And it's wonderful. Liberty. Freedom. Relationship with God an intimacy. You've got this day where you can come before the maker, creator of heaven and earth, and you can call him Father, Father. And that is a wonderful, wonderful, you know, look in our existence. This is truly liberating. I remember going uh, on a trip I was at some Christian trip. I was supposed to be a speaker on it. But anyway, we're up in, uh, in Germany, in the Black Mountains. And um, I was with a person who had uh, definitely severe learning difficulties. He was an older man, but uh, throughout his life, uh, you know, he had been born to know what the condition was. He couldn't actually uh, say much at all. Um, had trouble speaking, communicating, uh, you know, trouble walking. He had uh, held his hand like that. But anyway, I ended up with him on this cable car going over, you know, the, the Black Forest, the Black Mountains. And he, when I was on this cable car, we were up there. And whatever else, I tell you what, this is the blessing. He said in these words, and I never, as we looked over, my father, my father, my father made it. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? He knew his heavenly father. He knew that he made this world. And I tell you, that's a knowledge of many people. They don't even have a clue about. And I want you to notice because, you know, there are these kind of people these days. And I tell you what they're like. They're very mature, so they think. They think that they're grown up Christians. Why are they growing up? Oh, because they've gone now into deep things, they say. I got into deep understanding of, of Jewish writings and literature and and then there are others, they're very spiritual. You say, spiritual? Oh, yes, they have a spiritual life and they've got a spirituality about them. But no, you've got to notice, forget that nonsense. There's two things they're not. They're not mature and they're not spiritual because you've got here, the Father has sent the Spirit, listen, of his Son into our hearts. And I don't care what religion these people are on and how spiritual they are. If that doesn't belong to Jesus Christ, you're not spiritual because there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know how it is that you can know of the Spirit of God within you, you've got to know of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And there it is in chapter three, is it not? Where he tells them, look, he wants, look, get a grip, he says. Uh, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law of the hearing of faith? And you know how you received the spirit of God. You've been born again from above. And you say, how was that? Keep it law, forget it. No, I heard of Jesus Christ and of him crucified. And there is something that you know. Look, I want to tell you, this is what you know. You are the children of God. You belong to him. You're the heirs. And now we're speaking of what God, look, I'm not an expert. I can only just draw from wherever I've read somewhere in the past. But look, there is God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And someone has told me that God the Holy Spirit is the go-between God. That means now he is the one between the Father and the Son. He is the spirit of love. He is the bond which is there. And that relationship is in Father and Son for eternity, in the love and the fellowship and the union that they have, that same spirit he cast in the same, no different, than that which belongs to Jesus Christ from all eternity is in your hearts. And you are sons. You ain't slaves. You know, Paul's got to, you got to hammer it home. And you know why you've got to hammer it home? Because the prodigal son's coming home and he's thinking, make me a hired servant. It's a deep grain of badness within us. That somehow we don't understand how free that love of God really is. And Paul's just got to say, now hang on now. You've got to realize, you know, big style. That you can know the kiss of the father. You can know of the rope put upon you, the ring on your finger, the shoes on your feet. You belong to him as sons. And uh, that's what you need to know. So look. There's one more thing, because this is going to be very practical for us in our Christian lives. So what you got, you know, in verse seven, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, please make the connection, because if you don't make the connection, you're going to be in big trouble. Because what's going to happen tonight is you're going to go from this Bible and study and say, hey, hey, you know what Chris said? We're no longer under that law. That means, that means, this is what it means. I no longer, you know, I'm going to scrap that idea in my life. I'm going to scrap that practice. You know what I really need to do? I got some here in town. You know, they got, forgive me, but he always, Chris, he says, you need to be more liberated. That's what we've done in our fellowship. We've liberated ourselves. You don't know how free we are. Oh, I know how free you are. I couldn't even wear a suit in your fellowship because you're so free. You're bound, you see, by your casual, your casual dress. But the reality is this, is that it's not, you know, simply what I'm not to do. Here's the first thing. You've got to realize what you're not. You've got to realize something and then who you are. And you just got to realize in the coming of Jesus Christ and his dealing with this law and the fullness of time and the giving of his Holy Spirit that you are no longer slaves. Now, I did mention to you last week, and I, I hope you did pick it up, you know, about my mother who taught me to, you know, eat those Brussels sprouts and the voices in my head every time Brussels sprouts. And I still can't get out of the habit, even though I don't like them. 
And I got, you know, I'm not under that now. I've grown up. I'm my old man. But, you know, these things can be ominous. But I will tell you this. There's something even harder than getting away from the idea and to live under some bondage is to live to what we are. Look at verse 7. And if a son, then an heir, an heir of God through Christ. And what you have here is that, look, you've got to just begin to realize something about what you are in Jesus. You are an heir, an heir. And I would say to you, that may be one of the hardest things to, to grasp in, in our experience of, of the fact that this belongs to us. Let me try and describe it to you. There's a, there's a woman in the area and she has inherited, you know, over the years, a great estate, okay? You know, look, it's just a fact. You know, everybody knows. She's inherited, you know, just as it is, you can't help it, millions, millions of, of millions. Fantastic, isn't it? She has literally millions and an estate, a lovely mansion to live in. It's not that she doesn't understand that she uh, has millions. It's not that she's thick in any way that uh, the penny hasn't dropped. It's not even that she's a miser, right? That, you know, that somehow there's something wrong in her spirit. But everybody knows this. She just hasn't got the mind. You, you just have to realize the mind is not there. That, 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 she could even for one moment enjoy it, have some luxuries, enjoy some pleasures, go on some trip, have a new dress, put a gas fire in. It's just not, and it will never be in her thinking that she would ever enjoy the things that she's inherited because perhaps it was the way that she was brought up, but it's just not there. And Spurgeon, in his daily readings yesterday, said this. He said, you are heirs of the things of God. And it's your own fault. It's your own fault and your own fault only that you are not taking what belongs to you. It is possible that you can live a life as a Christian and you could be living it in some bondage, or if you got out of that, you're still not living it as you should, which is in that blessing where you know your sins are forgiven. You know that he gives you of the Holy Spirit. You know that taste of glory. You know that those things of the gospel and the freedoms belong to you. Now tonight, that's my last time with you, but I would say to you, Look, of all the things I could tell you about and all the problems that we go through, you've just got to get your relationship with God right. Because the prodigal didn't have it, and neither did the other son. And I don't know if that grieves God. I, I, I don't look, he is happy. God's happy. He's very happy. But if you imagine your children, 
still just living that you've got to earn your favour and your grace, it must it'd break your heart, wouldn't it? Of course it would. You say, look, I, you know, what can you do? You've just got to realise a number of things. And one is that the goalposts have changed since Jesus has come in to this world. Now,